How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. Welcome for those of you who are just joining us for the first time. If you are, uh, come hang out with us on Facebook. we got a closed group of guys over there with thousands of guys from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. We'd love to have you come be part of that. Uh, this week I was driving. I got stuck in traffic, which is classic Portland. Uh, I was stuck in traffic, and I turned on K-Love, just trying to fill my mind with good stuff. <laughs> uh, and they're doing their like pledge drive. Uh, they were in the middle of their K-Love pledge drive, and man, it was brutal. Listen, I've talked about K-Love a few times on the show, and really, I, I love what they're doing, man. I love that they are um, putting songs out there for the glory of Jesus, and people are being touched and encouraged by them. Seriously, I, I'm not being facetious when I say that. I'm, I really am genuinely um, grateful for ministries like that, for like them. God is using them uh, in really big ways. Um but they're doing one of their, uh, um, I, I don't know how often they do it, but uh, a regular giving drive where they're asking people to give to the ministry. And it was just, it was painful. It was so painful. Uh, and it, I don't know if it's because I'm a millennial or what, but just like listening to people ask for money is so painful. Uh, and then I had kind of an unrelated experience. I was at my son's baseball practice and one of the parents there was talking about how they're looking for a church and the last church they were going to every Sunday, they were just, they felt like the ministry was constantly asking for money and it was just like painful for them to be there uh, because they they just felt like it always somehow got skewed. The message got skewed back to having people donate money. And listen, I am a millennial. I'm a normal dude. I know how painful it is to be in experiences where people are constantly asking for money and I hate it. Uh, money is like, it just sucks. It's it, like, it's just, it, it's a really frustrating thing, <laughs> uh, but it's a necessity. So I get why Caleb does it. I get why churches have to ask for money and all that. Anyway, my point is this, I have never taken a penny from dad tired. I don't plan on having any kind of big salary from dad tired. Maybe one day if I can focus all my time and energy on it, great. But the reality is, uh, for, and this is by the way, for those of you who have been part of dad tired for the last uh, while, and you consider yourself like a member of our little community. Uh, The reality is we need money. (laughs) We need money to do everything that God's uh, put on our heart to do. And uh, one of the main things that we want to do is these local meetups. And we'd like to have some tight organization around uh, getting guys linked up in cities all across the nation and world and then having some kind of plan so that when they they meet up, it's casual. You've seen this on Instagram and Facebook. I've been posting about it. Uh, You know, it's casual. and It's just a chance for guys to meet each other. But also there's a little bit of intentionality. So guys aren't just like sitting there staring at each other being super awkward. There's like (laughs) there's some intentionality around it. So I need help man i need help of like people organizing that i need help we need to like cover some travel stuff we need to cover printing costs for materials and graphic design uh work it just i mean you you guys i don't have to like explain things to you you guys know you all have jobs you all have houses and money and budgets and all this stuff you know that in order to get things done it costs money for better or worse and so i'm the annoying guy on uh sorry not the annoying guy i'm the same kind of guy on caleb or whatever i'm the pastor that's going to put out a plea like if you believe in dad tired if you believe in the ministry if you've been part of it and you believe that god is using dad tired to reach men all around the world which he is i could send you email after email uh, forward you these emails of guys whose lives are being changed through Dad Tired, uh, man, then would you just consider giving? Uh, so I'm just going to throw it out there. If, you, if you've been touched by Dad Tired, if you believe in what we're doing, would you consider giving? Listen, if every one of you <laughs> gave $1, if every one of you gave $0.50 cents a month 
all of our expenses would be covered. We could have like a robust ministry that would be bigger than Promise Keepers. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know how big Promise Keepers was. Anyway, here's my plea to you, man. I don't take a paycheck from Dad Tired. Uh, everything that comes in through the people donating or through a book sale goes right back in the ministry to help us keep moving forward. If you believe in what we're doing, stop the podcast right now. Stop taking and start giving. Uh, that's my plea to you. So anyway, I love you. Sorry to be that, that guy. Uh, but yeah, give later. All right. And my awkward rant about giving, I forgot to tell you where to give. You can go to deadtire.com forward slash give, uh, look for the give or support tab on the website and you'll find it. Uh, today we have a super exciting guest, uh, as always. Uh, his name's Phil Comer. Phil and his wife, Diane, run a ministry called Intentional Parents. They wrote a book um, called Raising Passionate Followers of Jesus, which was a really, really, really good book. Uh, and then I just went to the conference last weekend, uh, actually after I recorded this podcast. And uh, dude, I was like laughing and crying and laughing and crying. It was so, so good. I actually wish I would have recorded the podcast this episode after I went to the conference because uh, I just had a million more ideas. But anyway, Phil and his wife are amazing. Uh, they, the, the practical tips and also the the perspective that they were able to like zoom out and like help me and Layla realize like you guys are just trying to survive every day. Uh, but instead of just trying to survive, you should actually have like a plan to raise passionate followers of Jesus. So anyway, uh, here's one thing that's really cool uh, about this interview. I want to give away, uh, I'm actually going to team up with their ministry to give away a book to a listener. So go over to Instagram right now today um, and go, look on our Instagram feed and you will see an opportunity uh, for you to win one of their books, um, which I can't recommend highly enough. If you don't win, go pick it up somewhere else. Um, wherever books are sold, it's there. But anyway, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Phil Comer. Uh, he's such a great guy. I kind of got pigeonholed. I kind of uh, pigeonholed us into talking about spanking way more than I planned on talking about spanking. But I think you're going to find it really fascinating and interesting. I personally, just so you know, I've made the decision to not spank. Uh, one, because we're foster parents and we're legally not allowed to. But two, I learned when I had kids that I actually have this like hidden temper in me. And to spank, I would probably most likely be doing it out of anger. So there's some stuff that I still need to wrestle through with the Lord and figuring out what are the tools that we're going to use for discipline. But anyway, we talk about spanking. We talk about all kinds of stuff. It's a little bit longer interview than most, but hang in there. It's super good stuff. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Later. Well, Phil, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today. If, if you would, just take a minute to tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, well, hey, my name's Phil Comer. My wife, Diane, and I are up to all kinds of things these days, but uh, one of the major things we're focusing on is a ministry uh, that our church leaders asked us to launch a number of years ago to help especially young parents raising up the next generation of passionate Jesus followers. And uh, we've had the joy of seeing our kids choose to follow Jesus, and now they're starting to lead their own kids to follow Jesus. And so um, we have kind of birthed a ministry called Intentional Parents International, helping parents um, say this is your goal to raise your son or daughter, whatever they choose to do vocationally or however God leads them in their calling, that they'll be uh, 
full-on followers of Jesus all the days of their life. Yeah. And what's cool is uh, a few months back, we had John Mark, one of your sons, on our show. And uh, John Mark is, a, as you know, a very well-respected leader in our community, in our, in our city, and uh, uh, just such a gifted author and speaker and teacher. He's one of my favorite teachers. And uh, so he's just well, su- such a well-respected guy. And we, oftentimes we look at guys like him and we, we, many of us like young parents think, man, what was his household like growing up? You know, what, what were his parents? What did his parents do right? Because <laughs> I, I want to learn from them. Uh, and the good news is you wrote a book and you kind of exposed all of that. I, I was laughing constantly as I read through the book. And uh, as you you guys, you and your wife both talk about John Marcus, he was a strong-willed little boy. Uh, it's fun to kind of peek behind the curtain and get an inside look uh, on his life. But um, yeah, it's been fun to, to, to kind of get a behind-the-scenes peek at uh, John Mark's household growing up. <laughs> yeah, he just finished reading the book himself, you know, and, and uh, he said it was strange reading a book that you're in, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, he's raising his own kids. So he's reading the book himself. And and that was uh, really one of the reasons we launched this ministry. Actually, I, I credit him with birthing it because um, he and I back in 2004 kind of co-planted what was then called Solid Rock of Jesus Church. Now it's called West Side of Jesus Church. It was never something we talked about doing together. That's kind of a long story how it ended up happening, but um, God brought some amazing leaders around us. We experienced this amazing move of God, and then down the road, uh, I handed him the lead role, and at that point, our elders were just saying, you both need to stay here and work this out together, and so we had a meeting, like, how was dad's role going to change? And in that meeting was really interesting. We had a guy who mentors uh, our leadership, who's in his 70s, and he turned to John Mark and said, well, you're going to be the lead pastor now. What do you want your dad to do? I don't want to tell dad what to do. I mean, just dad, I just want you to do what you're called to do. And, and, and I, all I could say was, I feel called to do something for pastors and parents, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And then the guy honed back in on John Mark, you're the lead pastor. So what do you want your dad to do? And in all humility, he said, well, dad, I feel like you and mom need to teach on parenting. He said, none of my friends were raised in a home like I was raised in. And we had this move of God at our church where literally hundreds of 20-somethings really decided to follow Jesus passionately. Some of them had made decisions when they were little kids, but now like I am all in. And then a few years later, they're getting married, they're having their first baby, and they didn't have a model. They they either their parents divorced or uh, uh, you know, they had uh, broken home situations, or even if their parents were Christians, in many cases, they went to church on Sunday, but it wasn't really lived out in the home. And so they didn't know how to do it. They just knew they loved the Lord with all their hearts and mind and strength, and they wanted their kids to, too. So really, it was John Mark who said, you know, Dad, I think this is your legacy. I said, legacy? I'd never thought of my life in terms of any kind of legacy. I've had the joy of, you know, being involved in all kinds of amazing ministries. But anyway, that's how it was launched. Our elders said, yes, we need this. So, you know, start off and do it for our own church. And so the thing was birthed really at his kind of push and our elders' confirmation. And so it took us a long time to to put the conference together. We started with a conference and uh, and then we needed to write the book because there's a lot of things we didn't have time to cover in the conference. But it was I couldn't have done it personally if my own kids weren't walking with the Lord. There are pastors whose kids are wayward and and they they can just continue on. And I think that's a personal and individual decision. But for me, as a first generation 
um, follower of Jesus. I thought I can't be up preaching sermons on the family or exhorting people if if I haven't experienced my own kids following the Lord. So that that was a huge blessing out of which we were able to write, even though there's no guarantees and. You know, we're not saying follow these 10 things and your kid will be the next Billy Graham, you know? Right. Yeah. So the the forward of the book is uh, actually written by Dr. Uh, Emerson. Uh, how do you say, how do you say his last name? I always butcher his last name. Egrish. Yeah, it's, Egg- it's hard because it's, it's Egrish. You don't pronounce the S. It's Emerson Egrish. But it's, Egrish. It's, 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 it's a hard spelling. It's got yeah. the Yang Egrish, but it's just Emerson is how people say it. He's an amazing God, and I think has written the best book on marriage out there. I think it's sold two million copies. Love and respect. Right, love and re- love and respect. Yeah, everyone has heard of that, and uh, there's even a love and respect podcast that is super popular now. Um, but he, I love what he said in the the forward of the of your book, where he said one of the things that struck him was that John Mark was sitting in the front row of your parenting conference. And he thought, man, uh, this must be really good stuff. Uh, if his own son is uh, there taking notes on how to raise his, his children. So it really like begs the question I, in a nutshell, I, how, how do you raise passionate followers of Jesus? Like what, what what's the secret? Well, <laughs> I don't know if there's any secret, but um, you know, before I answer that question, it, it is really interesting that John Mark, was there at our first conference. But even before that, when we planted uh, the church in 2004, all we had, you know, just pretty quickly, just hundreds of 20 somethings, but also lots of young couples. And my wife taught a Bible study for young moms. There's about 60 of them. And it was a lot of the material we now teach together called Hearts on Fire. And John Mark, uh, his wife, Tammy, was getting ready to give birth to Jude, their firstborn. And he asked if he could run sound for his mom and take notes. And so as a dad, I step into the room and I see my wife teaching and I see my son just frantically writing down everything his mom is saying. And I tell you, as a father, there's no greater thing than that. But anyway, my wife fits that and she said, I don't ever want to do this again unless you do it with me because we have to get the dads there. The, the, the father is to be actively involved in the training of his kids and is to be the spiritual leader along with his wife and the children. And so she felt this just missing piece. And so years later when we um, started to do it together, it's been beautiful. But anyway, I mean, so back to your question, uh, how do you raise passionate Jesus followers? Um, I think number one, you have to be one yourself. <laughs> you can't pass on what you don't possess. And, and it's not just do as I say. They need to see what it looks like in the home 24-7, a mom and a dad who are truly uh, following the way of Jesus. And and I think that that is probably the overarching um, qualification, right? You need to be walking with the Lord yourself so they see and are, and are then caught up. And then secondly, it needs to be intentionally taught. Um, and so it's not enough to just just model it. You know, we need to teach our kids the way of Jesus. And that's where all the tools come in of of uh, discipline with your children, training them, you know, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Those are all the times where you teach your, it's in the home that all the skills for life are to be learned, how to forgive and how to partner together and how to work and how to be generous and uh, how to model love and respect. It's all to be learned in the home. The home is like a world in miniature. And so uh, modeled and then intentionally taught are super, super important. 
I heard somebody say once a parent's life is a child's guidebook. And so I think they're watching mm-hmm. dad to see what does this look like. Yeah. And you, you, one thing I thought was really interesting in the book is when you talked about how one generation experiences God, the next generation knows God, but doesn't experience God. And then the third generation doesn't know or experience God. And, and that really is referenced from uh, the, you know, the Exodus, the Israelites, as they were um, going through the Exodus journey there. Can you kind of expand on that thought? Well, yeah, what we're saying there is that, you know, my wife and I, we were first generation Christians saved back in what was, I think, the last great revival called the Jesus Movement in the 70s. We both were a product of that. And you, you being a, a former worship guy, I mean, most of the worship pastors, I became a worship pastor. That's what I did for years, who taught the mm-hmm. Bible as well. But uh, most of the guys that were leading worship were all saved out of bands in in the, you know, the 70s. And, yeah. um, and there was this move of God. My wife was living in Germany. Her dad had a job over there for four years. And she saw this picture in, in this magazine that was on a military base. And it was a picture of young people on the beach in California with their hands raised and said, Jesus movement. And she believed in God. But she, in her heart, suddenly, when I get back to the United States, I want to figure out who this Jesus is. Hmm. It's God's spirit drawing her. And so anyway, we we experienced a radical change of life. I played in a rock band for nine years. And, um, you know, out of that, I, I came to know Jesus. And it was like the difference between darkness and light. And I had literally turn off back then it was the radio. There were no CDs or anything. You know, I had to literally turn it off and reprogram my mind, memorizing scripture and just being all in to follow Jesus. And he radically transformed me. So if then I have children and I just take them to church on Sunday and they, you know, go to Sunday school or they go to Awana or whatever, and they learn a few Bible verses, but I'm not living it out in front of them and church becomes a Sunday thing to them, then they're going to know about God but they're never going to experience him. So you want your kids to see a vibrant and living walk with God, just like Jesus had, you know, he, his, his relationship with his father wasn't stagnant or distant. It was alive and, and vibrant. He'd get up early in the morning and spend time with his father. When they grow up for years and they get up and mom's already up with a cup of tea, reading her Bible in the chair and, um, and they see your walk with God and, and they then not just make a, you know, religious decision, but actually experience the Lord. And of course, this takes time. You know, our kids accepted the Lord, gave their lives to the Lord. They were saved, we believe, at a young age. But then all along, um, they continued to follow him. And when they got a little bit older, they, as a young adult, yes, this is. I don't believe it's just because my parents told me I'm, I'm all in. But if that doesn't happen, then they just know about God. It's a Sunday thing. And then their children, they don't know God or experience him, which is why my friend Luis Palau I've heard him say in stadiums and, you know, outdoor huge events, God has no grandchildren, only children. Okay, Mm. so each generation must make their own decision. You don't get into heaven or spend eternity with the Lord because dad was a pastor or whatever. So that's the thing there, yeah. Wonder, you know, I've, I'm in the thick of it. I was, as we were just talking about, I've got a four and a six year old. And uh, one of the things that I feel like where I'm constantly doing is disciplining. And often I feel like my discipline strategies are changing week to week as I'm trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And that's when I, I read your book and I was 90% encouraged and 10% discouraged because I'm like, man, if I mess my kids up, <laughs> I need their foundational years back. I wish I could start at, you know, year zero and, and implement some of this stuff. Um, but you, you have a whole section of your book where you actually talk about the tools of discipline. Can you give us an overview on the, I think you have five tools of discipline there. 
Yeah, yeah. And those aren't the only tools in the Bible. But I think, you know, every parent feels like they're messing up. <laughs> so our biggest concern when we wrote this book, even when we put the conference together, was that it would come across like, hey, our kids are walking with the Lord. Follow our formula and yours will too, which is not how, by the grace of God, our conferences come across or our book has come across. We try to be careful to share our own struggles and things that we would do differently all over again. No parent gets to the end of end of their parenting. Your kids are now all launched in marriage and looks back and goes, man, you know, I had to write a book about this. Nobody could do it. <laughs> we all look back and go, wow. What one of my I think the stories in the book of my wife, what she thought was her worst fail with John Mark when he was a teenager, he doesn't even remember it. <laughs> this is where the grace of God covers our mess ups. And when you're right. teaching kids, it's it's you know, parenting is so daily. And so are mm -hmm. you, especially it's exhausting. You you can't take a break. I remember my wife used to say, I can't even go into the bathroom alone. My toddler's knocking on the door, mommy, mommy. So true. And sometimes you feel like it's not working, but but it is working. It's brick by brick by brick by brick, month by month and year by year, as you live out the way of Jesus and as your kids see it and as you you even your fails they they see you you lose your temper and and you lean over to your two-year-old and say you know what daddy just that was anger and it, and i asked god to forgive me will you please forgive me when your two-year-old looks at you like what yeah, you yeah know. Right. you're pulling for them that that you're not that you're in process too and you live under the lordship of god and that's how they're going to learn how to do that so you know i think that that sometimes you feel like man i blew it and i i just think we all blow it and and I think we're all, you know, we've been saved and we are being saved and we will mm -hmm. be saved, been saved mm -hmm. from sin. We are being saved daily from the power of sin in our life. I'm in my 60s and I'm still having to say, Lord, forgive me at the communion table and ask my wife's forgiveness because, you know, I just got angry at her because she did. So we're all in process and we won't be like him until we see him face to face. And we we there's so much grace of God. God wants your your children to follow him even more than you do. And I think parents have to realize that isn't all up to me. I'm partnering with the God who is after my child. Jesus came seeking and saving that that which is lost. And he's he's pursuing your son or daughter. He wants to use you as a tool in his hand. And um, and I think, you know, we stumble along the way. And and don't be afraid of you. Your own failures are your kids' failures. Just hmm. when you need to and and get back up and walk again. And I, and I think my wife would say that probably a lot of our kids' reason for seeing how authentic Jesus is is when my wife, and some people know her story, she's written another book about called He Speaks in the Silence. My wife started losing her hearing in her 20s and then went completely deaf. And initially she was angry at God and she had to process all that. The elders prayed over her and she was healed, but not physically. God told her, I'm not going to heal you right now because I have a greater purpose for you. And mm -hmm. now she says what she thought was the worst thing about her is the best thing about her to the point if God said, would you like your hearing back, but you're going to lose your intimacy with me? She said, no, no, don't give me my hearing back. Wow. So our kids watched that struggle. They saw their mom walk through disappointment, some, some suffering, and come out refined and beautiful. And so when, when you're a kid and you're living in that, um, how's that not going to affect you? Of course it does. So none of us are perfect. Yeah, that's see, encouraging, man. When you see us run to Jesus instead of away from Jesus, they're going to learn from that too. Yeah. Um, 
That was great, man. That's encouraging. Can you can you uh, give us an overview of the, those five tools five that tools. we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first one was a gentle correction, and this is the first thing parents do this all the time. You know, uh, when your son or a lot of a lot of just talk about siblings. Okay, you see your your sibling. Yeah, that's where it all begins, right? <laughs> when your brother or sister's mean to the other one, and you say and you give a gentle correction. You know, this is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. All right, the Greek word actually translated correct in the new testament one of them it it's used of the holy spirit hmm. uh, who also is gently comes alongside when we're getting ready to say something we shouldn't say or lash out in anger and there's that gentle voice don't say it don't do it and so i think a parent that's the first tool and if your child responds hallelujah that's all they need god's doing yeah. that with all the time the problem is we're not listening sometimes but if your child doesn't respond to the gentle cor- correction then there's um there's a time for a loving rebuke and the word rebuke in the new testament it's a it's a strong warning um it's to admonish strongly and so as a parent it's not yelling some of us had parents that just yelled at us my parents didn't diane's parents especially her mom were were more the the angry letting anger come out especially her mom Who's with the Lord now, and and God changed her a lot too when she really started following Jesus. But it's every kid knows when mom and dad's tone is more firm. It's it's a look in the eye. You better stop that right now, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a place for that. God does that with us when we haven't listened to Him the first time because we're not paying attention. He will get because He's a loving Father. He will be stronger with us, and you'll feel. I'm sure you felt that I have almost this stronger conviction you know it's god because it's filled with love it isn't it isn't what satan's is always you know you're unworthy you're a scumbag you know you know those kind of accusations don't come from god god is a loving father but there's a time when he brings us a um loving rebuke and the key there as a parent if you have to rebuke your son or daughter you need to be sure it's a loving rebuke that you're not giving an angry rebuke because if you're angry, sinfully angry, it's not going to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. That's why James chapter one says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So it doesn't, it doesn't bring about the result that you want. And that, that's a principle for life. If you're a supervisor or somebody and you've been trying to get some, an employee to do what they're supposed to do and they're ignoring you. And finally, you, if you pull them in and just yell at them, it's all they're going to feel is all your anger, and it's not going to accomplish what you want. But if you can bring a loving, if you can bring a loving rebuke, uh, then sometimes that's all it needs, right? And the third tool is our favorite tool, and the one that I think is the most powerful tool for any parent is the tool of encouragement or exhortation. You know, Paul told Timothy when he was pastoring the church to preach the word. And then he said, reprove, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and instruction. And those are where we got the first three tools. Even though they were written to a young pastor about his church, the church is a family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. They're tools parents can use too. And the tool of encouragement is powerful where you look for character qualities, things they do right, and you cheer them on. And um, and and you look for an opportunity. Hey, I saw that you were going to slap your sister and you didn't do it right. so proud of you you know that that was gentleness that you you exhibited or or that was self-control that you exhibited you know the f- self-control is a fruit of the spirit god has self-control and i just saw that in you yeah i, I just to interject for a second i i was 
encouraged and convicted in that that section of the book when you talk about this should be our number one tool of choice, our most used tool is this tool of encouragement. As a parent, I just constantly feel like I'm, you know, nagging or trying to get my kids to behave and yet not using that tool of encouragement. And I, I appreciated your wife, Diane, her her uh, just humility to say it's something that she wished she would u- had used more as as the kids were growing up too. But um, yeah, that I appreciate you sharing that tool. Yeah, and I think it says in the book, children will become who you tell them you see them becoming. Mm-hmm. So a father who just says to your kid, you know, you are such a mess up. How many times do I have to tell you that the kid is just going to shrink away and withdraw? But when they receive encouragement, they will want to be more like that. It's such a powerful tool. And yes, Diane very humbly says it wasn't the way that her parents raised her with a lot of encouragement, so she had to learn a whole new language. So. Yeah. So let's step into the most controversial one in 2018, and that's the the rod uh, spanking. It's a it's an issue that I know parents are just like all of uh, young families that I know want to talk about this issue, want to know what their friends are doing and what's right or what's wrong, and yet nobody talks about it because it's it can be so divisive. But I really appreciated your take on it. Can you kind of walk us through spanking uh, as one of the tools of discipline? Yeah, that's the fifth tool. And the fourth one is simply training, which is teaching a particular skill over a period of time. You know, it's when you say to your kid, not that way, this way. This is how you should have handled that, said this. So that's training. The fifth one's the rod of correction. Yeah, and uh, when we were putting the conference together, we didn't want to talk about this because uh, we it's so controversial right now in the United States, and we wanted to just ignore it. But we had told the Lord, you know, we're, we're students of the Scriptures, so we want to find everything in the Bible we can find to help parents, and it's right there. So we thought, you know what, I've learned to live under the authority of the scriptures, not put some book above the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this, but the book says this, so hey, we're going to follow the book. So we went ahead and taught on it, and we were surprised. It's It's been one of the most helpful things. We've even tried to shorten it and cut it out of our conference, but people want more. Because <laughs> I think, no, it's a tool that God uses with us when necessary. And he uses it in a beautiful, loving way. And most of us didn't experience that kind of rod of correction growing up. We had an angry dad who swat us when he just had it, along with yelling or whip a belt out. And it was just an angry kind of thing. And that's not what God, that's not how God handles us at all. And so, um, you know, our book isn't about this. It's about the goal of raising a passionate Jesus follower, but we did keep it in there. Yeah, and I think generally our nation has thrown abuse and what we would call a God-honoring, loving use of the rod correction into the same pot. It's like it's all the same thing. Yeah. It's, you hear about some you know guy beat his kid, bruised him, and therefore obviously spanking is archaic. You know, and 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 what we're talking about is is not abuse. It's not beating your child. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says punish your child with the rod he will not die uh you'll save his soul from death well what's the rod you have to look up the hebrew word there shabbat and it, it's it's not a it's not a club if you hit your kid with a club he would die it's a little, it's a little switch and so it, it leaves this little sting and it's it actually when used in the power of the spirit and biblically is one of the quickest tools to correct a child's behavior. And if you look at some of those who teach that this is not a tool that we should use anymore because we've done studies and we've moved beyond it, blah, blah, blah. Um, it actually, if you look at what they're actually proposing, it's almost more manipulation and, uh, hey, if you just stop doing this, then maybe we'll go get an ice cream. you know. And so we're not telling parents 
they have to use this tool. We're saying you should prayerfully seek you husband, you and your you and your wife or you and your husband pray together. If this is a tool God's leading you to use, it must be handled prayerfully, carefully, and in some cases rarely. And if you're doing foster care, not at all. So we're very careful. It is a tool that we used, and our kids who grew up no scars are choosing to use it with their kids. And yeah. So, I- yeah. So, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to ask you about that. We're, we're actually foster parents, so we're not allowed to legally spank our children. Um, as one, That's not one of the tools we're able to use in our tool belt. But can you kind of walk us through what it was like for you raising your kids? Like what for the person that's just hearing this and thinking, you know, I just, all they can picture is the dad that beat them or their sibling and, you know, was over the top yelling the kind of the scenario you, you described. What did it look like in your household? What does biblical biblical like spanking look like and what did it look like in your home? Yeah, well, um, first of all, Jared, this is your podcast. You can interrupt me anytime, buddy. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I think if people will go uh, not only to our book, but to our website, intentionalparents.org, you can click on resources there and we have an actual more information on what we call the process, like what, how do you do it? In a God-honoring way, what do you never do? What do you do? It's all there on our website. Um, but I think what it, what it looks like is, first of all, you and your wife have to decide, is this a tool you're going to use? And um, like you said, if you're foster, you're doing a foster um, parenting, it's a tool you just got to take out of your toolbox. Um, if, if it's a tool you are going to use, in which cases, what are you going to use it for? So there's no emotional, out of the blue Suddenly the kid's getting a spanking. He doesn't know what he did or, or why. So we came up personally, and we're telling parents, you have to decide before the Lord because every child is different um, and uh, every situation is different. For us, we just chose to spank for basically three reasons. Defiant disobedience. This is when you tell your three-year-old, don't touch that because you're trying to teach him that the wood stove is going to burn his hand and don't touch it. And, you know, you, you don't want to, you want him to be able to know that no means no, but you say, Hey, don't, don't touch this. And he looks at you in the eye and he walks up and grabs it and looks at you like, what are you going to do about it? Okay. Yeah. That's defiant disobedience. So we, you know, again, this is, you're using all the tools at once. There's a general reproof. There's a, there's a loving rebuke and there's training. But in that case, we would use a spanking. Um, and it was, it was not, out of the blue, they knew this would that they would get a spanking for this. So direct defiant. We used to say direct disobedience. Now we're saying defiant disobedience. And as a parent, you need wisdom. <laughs> Parenting is not an exact science. So what's the difference between defiant disobedience or direct disobedience and childish irresponsibility? I mean, those are two different things. The kid, they're kids. So you know, my wife said childish irresponsibility would be you you're in a rush it's always when you're in a rush you know you tell your four-year-old put on your shoes grab your backpack and meet me by the front door so he puts on his shoes he can't find his backpack and while he's on his way looking for it he sees the lego creation he was making with you the night before and the missing piece that we couldn't find it's right there under the underneath the chair (laughs) and he's putting it on and mom shows up like you didn't obey me i told you to and the kid's just being a kid right right he's not trying to be defiant. So in that case, you just say, look, okay, come on, meet me by the front door. So you've got to have wisdom. Okay. Or what is it? Defiant disobedience. We we spank for that. Um, And uh, that, that was one that we did. The second one was um, we didn't allow our kids to um, have bad attitudes and say harsh things like I hate you slam doors and walk away. Um, and, and so this was the second reason that they knew they would be spanked for that. They, they needed, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. That means to treat them with respect. 
Um, and later on, you teach your kids how they can appeal to those in authority above them, including their parents, because we wanted our kids to be to be able to say anything they wanted to us, but they had to say it respectfully. And mm -hmm. the third one was uh, deceit or or lying. And uh, this this didn't happen very often with us, but um, occasionally, you know, if they knew, and we we would only spank for that if we knew that they knew that they were lying on purpose to get out of something. And so, it wasn't an out of the blue kind of thing. And then the process was, um, you know, first of all, you know, we made the decision. Yes, this is they're going to be spanked for this. And then secondly, it's in a private, you know, never in anger, never with your hand. It's interesting. The Bible talks about using a, a rod. Your hand should be to comfort your child and welcome your child. You want your kid cringing when you lift up your hand. So I think that's why the Bible talks about using a designated object, you know, with young, young children, a little paint stirred like a stick you'd use from Home Depot to stir paint with works really well. <laughs> Somebody came up to our conference and said, this is really helpful, all this stuff on spanking, but I, what is a pain stick? <laughs> no, I said paint stick with a T. You know? yeah. And uh, um, tell them why they're going to get a spanking and have them tell you to why, why do you need a spanking? They won't like that part, but they they already know. If I hit my sister, I'm going to get a spanking because you're training your little boys how to honor women and treat them with respect. And then you spank them and we use two swats. And then if they kicked and screamed to get away, they knew they got a third swat. And then you're not done that. Then you pray for them. We say don't ask them to pray. That's too much to ask. You don't want your kid to just pray some rote prayer because I have to pray now. That's the last thing we want to do is raise up Christian kids or kids who, you know, know how to pray the right prayers, just the right words, but they're not really following the Lord, but to pray over them, just prayers of blessing. Um, and then, um, you know, sometimes they need to go ask forgiveness of their brother or sister or whatever. But then at the end, I just say, never bring it up again. Let's go get an ice cream. Yeah. And that's yeah. the beauty of it. That's the way God is with us. When we go to the communion table, every say, Lord, I blew it again. I confess this to you. Confess just means I agree with you. I was an idiot. I shouldn't have done it. Will you please forgive me? God doesn't say, well, you better go to your room for a half hour and see if I see if you're really sorry about that. No, God says, yes, forgiven. Let's go, my son. Let's go, my dad. Hmm. And, and, and that's where grace comes in. And I, I think that this is such a beautiful thing. And, and you know, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 12 just lays all this out. You know, right after the great Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, you know, all these greats goes right into chapter 12 and says, you know, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us as seemed best of them, like none of us. It's not an exact science. You know, we, we sometimes we go, you know, I don't think I handled that right. Next time I'm going to, and you go back and you tell your son or daughter that, and the next time you handle it differently. But God disciplines us for our good. And that passage talks about even scourges us. So he uses the rod. In our conferences, when I say, how many of you have experienced God using the rod of correction. It's metaphor here in your life where you didn't listen and you went off anyway. Almost every hand goes up. Yeah, We all know what this feels like, like because we felt so loved. God's love will not allow him not to discipline us because he so wants to, to you know, to, to partner with us to mold us into the very image of Jesus. So anyway, there's a lot more on our website on it and some more in the book, but that's kind of a quick overview. Yeah. And one thing that I appreciate in the book, you, you actually put like this visual, a picture there of a pie chart and 
broke up those five tools of discipline and the the rod of correction, the spanking was the smallest sliver of that. And you said in the book that this should not be your number one tool, uh, your most used tool. And going back to the encouragement, the encouragement and the exhortation of your kids should be the most encouraging thing. So uh, just to continue, I appreciate you sharing that in detail of, and kind of walking us through how you did it. But also um, for those uh, people who will maybe get it'll feel uncomfortable for them to listen to that again you're not recommending that this is the one thing that every parent should be using but maybe just one tool to consider in their tool belt and that's what um, we're saying i think each couple has to decide and if you choose not to use this tool then you, you're going to raise your kids without that tool but we believe it is a biblical tool and but every parent must decide but again we're not like we're definitely saying exactly what you just said it must be handled prayerfully and carefully some cases rarely, in some cases not at all, and it's not a fix-all. And some people were raised with a abusive father, and everything was spanking, 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 and that's just not the way God is, and it's not going to bear fruit. You know, we have this couple that are missionaries. They were, they, I, I call him like the Apostle Paul of Albania, the, the country mm. north of Greece. They're an amazing missionary couple that just gave it all for the Lord in, in an unreached country. And he was raised with an abusive father that basically beat him. And so with mm. their own kids, biblically, he believed that, that the rod was a tool that could be used. But he was fearful because he sees the same, uh, you know, some of the sins of the fathers are passed down to the kids and they can all be overcome through the power of God's presence in our life. But he saw this tendency in his own life to to uh, have rage come up. And so they decided he's never going to spank their kids Whenever it was necessary, and they did do some spanking, it was his wife that did it, and that was a decision they made together, and it was a wise decision. and And I know, I know, two of their three kids. One of them's on staff at our church with us, and he's an amazing young man. And so I think that's why I think each husbands and wives have to come together. But it's definitely not a fix all. It's not a tool that you go to every time by any means. Yeah. What you. In the book you talked about, it seemed like John Mark was a, a strong-willed little boy. Uh, what do you do when you've used all the tools and they're still just strong-willed? They've got their own opinion. They're going to do. Uh, my four-year-old man, she will. Uh, I feel like I've used everything in the book, and uh, it seems like she just plays on her own terms. My my son is hundred percent the opposite, and I just, we just can't figure out like as far as consequences go. Um, how do how do we? let her feel the consequences of the decisions that she's making while also trying to balance grace and the gospel. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's a hard one. I'd, I'd have to sit down and we'd have to chat for a while about your situation, but I think consistency is important. And, um, again, this is, this is not something, you know, raising kids is not a six month thing. It's not a six year thing. <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, you continue. I'm in just to give you a little hope. Uh, and, and also prayer. I mean, we haven't talked about prayer yet. I mean, how would you even think about raising a godly child without bathing them in prayer? I mean, we, we right. prayer is like putting the roof on over your child. But I remember one time I was at the uh, office. I was, I was on staff at a church in, in the Bay Area in California. And my phone rang one afternoon about four o'clock. It was my wife. She was crying. And she was like, I've disciplined him and disciplined him. And I, and I still feel like he won. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do I, I do? You know, and and I and that was one of them where dad came home, you know, and as, as I recall, you know, I gave him a spanking. But it was really soon after that 
and this is John Mark I'm talking about, at four and a half, he gave his life to Jesus. And there was a change. Hmm. And I think it was the combination of consistent discipline, not giving up. Say, okay, fine. You're not, you, you take over. You just control us. That's a disaster. You know, you're all the parents. So if you're walking with the Lord and you're seeking his wisdom for your daughter, or your son. And so I think prayer, we were praying, Lord, what do we do? We were being consistent with the discipline, but then he received the Lord. And, you know, biblically, I believe when you receive Christ and you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. We actually saw um, a breaking of his strong will to disobey without a crushing of his spirit. He was still this beautiful boy. And yes, he still got some spankings after that, but but they were less and less and less. And I think some parents that if they do choose to use this tool, the mistake they make is they wait too long to start it, and then it's a it's a real battle. So it's better to start younger, and then you're done way earlier. So yeah, yeah. Phil, thank you for taking the time to hang out with us. I could ask a million more questions, and uh, just personally, and then also that I know our listeners would be interested in learning more. But the great. Uh, the good thing is you've you've got a book which you you guys outline a lot of this stuff in a lot of detail, and you also have the conferences, which uh, you're doing ton of these conferences, right, all over the place. Yes, we are. Wherever we're invited, we only go where we're invited, so we don't call churches up and say, "Hey, you want to have us?" So, but yeah, we've got uh, we just did one in Lake Oswego. We have a uh, uh, two in Oregon, actually, one coming up in a couple weeks in Bend, another one down in Albany. Um, and then we'll see, we're going to, we actually have been invited to some other countries. So we're doing the conference in Albania and then again in uh, Kenya in um, later this year, which is amazing. And we've found that God has led us to the biblical principles. And so it's actually being received cross-culturally because, you know, God's plan for the world is God's plan for the world. When Jesus said, love your enemies, that's the same in India as it is here. So, yep, yep. so that's been a joy too. Yeah, well, we have listeners uh, and even a lot of pastors who listen to this. So I encourage all of our listeners to either tell your church about it or if you're a pastor, uh, this is such a great conference. I, I actually haven't been, even though we're we're kind of neighbors. I'm I'm here just down the street from you. Um, but I'm, I'm going to try to come to that Bend one just because Bend is beautiful and I could uh, use some more of this <laughs> information. So I might sneak in uh, into that Bend conference, but we'll encourage our listeners to uh, try to get you at their church. But thank you, Phil, for taking the time to hang out with us, man. It's su- such good stuff. I really appreciate you doing this. Well, hey, Jared, uh, if you come to the Benlin, let me know you're coming, man. You can come as our guest, okay? Oh, geez, okay. I will, uh, I'll look up the dates as soon as we're done here and let you know. Okay, thank you. All right, Phil, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day, and I appreciate your time. All right, bye-bye.